All right, you can have a seat. Hey, good morning, guys. My name is Nate. If we haven't met before, someone say hi, Nate. Hey, good to be with you. Um, I'm, I'm one of the, the folks on staff here. We're going to be continuing through our series through the, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. If you've got a Bible, flip there. If you've got an app, table of contents is your best friend. Um, start working towards Daniel 7. As we get into Daniel 7, we're going to see a picture of kingdoms and empires and the future and this kind of grand sweep of what God's doing. And I want to start this morning just by confessing to you guys, as I, as I was reading it and studying it, I just realized I am... I'm a little bit exhausted. Like, I, I feel worn out when it comes to thinking about these, like, grand, epic, kingdom-wide things, whatever. And, and our, our mission statement here is to share the gospel and our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. I feel like I'm too worn out to even share what, what I've got right now with Madison, let alone think about these, these grand, sweeping things God is doing around the world. Do you, do you feel that with me? Like... I stopped watching the news, not because I have some great holy reason to do that, but because I'm just too tired to hear the latest about politics or wars or whatever. And I mean this as a genuine confession because I don't think that's actually what Jesus is calling me to, right? I'm not being prayerful. I'm not being hopeful. I'm just tired. You feel that? Like, man, I don't have time to think about a land war in Europe because my office feels like a war sometimes, or my marriage feels like a war, or my, raising my kids feels like a battle. Like, I don't have time and effort to think about all those other things. Or you're going to hear like the commands of Scripture to go and love your neighbor and to reach out, and you're like, I don't even know how to, to love the people that God's forced me to be with, let alone people I choose to be with. As we enter into to, to texts like Daniel chapter 7 that, again, point us to this big sweeping view of history and our place in it, I feel like I'm, I'm sometimes too tired to step into the story that God's inviting me into. Do you feel that too? And, and here's how, here's one of the ways I know I'm a little bit more tired than I used to be. I, I used to be so plugged in, almost too plugged into like news and current events and all that. And I'd, I'd be walking between meetings and I'd be like reading news stories all the time on my phone and addicted to it. But we were listening to a, a podcast as a staff team this week and this line stuck out to me. We, we, sometimes when we feel out of control, we try to use knowledge or information to, to regain a sense of control. And it doesn't really work. It's a false control. Maybe you felt that during 2020, where you started researching and looking it up, and you're like, I'm no virologist, but let me speak confidently on virology for a minute here, right? Like, all of the things that we tried to absorb and get to know and whatever, because we were trying to grab onto some kind of hope and we thought if we just know enough, if we just learn enough, if we just understand enough, then somehow we'll have something to grab onto and we'll feel a sense of confidence, security, hope in a world that feels out of control. And I went from that one extreme, I'm going to be so plugged in and get to know all this stuff, to the opposite extreme, I'm so worn out, I'm just not even going to engage with it. And again, neither place seems to treat the reality of the Bible like it's truth. There is a God who knows history and he's over it, he's in control. Either, either I run to a ditch of I'm in control or I run to a ditch of I just gotta check out. As you, as you listen to the word today, I think Jesus is inviting you and me into something. When he tells us about this sweep of human history, these kingdoms, these empires, 
He's not inviting you to try to grab hold of every detail as if somehow you'll crack the code and you'll know everything and then, and then you'll somehow get peace. But he's also inviting you into more than just saying like, ah, it's too crazy. I don't get it, whatever, forget about it. I got my own stuff to deal with. So what do we do in a day like today when the world seems dark when we're already tired and worn out, like where do we actually find the hope that God is inviting us into to be the people he's inviting us to be? What is God going to give people like you and me to give us hope for our tired hearts? Let's go to the Bible, let's figure that out, okay? Daniel chapter seven. Now, it's going to get crazy, listen to me. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're gonna be like, I knew you guys believe some weird stuff. Like, yep, today's the day, here you go, right? And we haven't been shying away from that, right? If you've been listening to Daniel, we have not been shying away from it. What we're gonna see is we're gonna see a perspective of kind of human history from, from Daniel's vantage point through the next sort of empires that came, but we're gonna take a step back and look at God's story of the scope of human history. And Daniel's a very interesting book. We're not gonna get into all of it today, but, but you guys know this, it's not written in fully chronological order. It's historical and accurate. We've seen that time and again, but it's not written to be chronological in its structure. We don't, we don't, we're not gonna get into chiasms and all that stuff, whatever, whatever. Just, just think about it like we have storytelling devices like flashbacks, things like that, when we tell stories, right? When you see a flashback, you don't automatically go, this is out of order, that doesn't make sense, whatever, throw it out. You go, okay, the, the narrator's trying to invite me into something. Daniel chapter seven historically occurs before Daniel chapter five that we saw two weeks ago. So, so we're getting a, a picture that kind of happened beforehand, but there's structure, there's purpose in it, but don't, don't get lost in that, okay? Daniel chapter seven historically happened before Daniel chapter five. And it's gonna be a vision of the future. And listen to me, there are two ways to, to think about a vision happening. Either, either this was written before the events happened and it's a true prediction, a true prophecy, or it was written afterwards and it's kind of fake. It's just pretending that there's a prophecy going on but the details were written afterwards. Those two vantage points really show a lot about the assumptions we bring into the Bible. And most of the scholars that, that approach this text agree, man, this is detailed, historically accurate, this is very fascinating in how the details fit with real history. People aren't disagreeing whether or not it's accurate, they just disagree on whether or not it was written before or after. And the scholars that say it happened after, guys, they're coming to the text going, hey, we already know there's not a God, we already know prophecies don't happen, therefore it, it had to have been written after if it's this detailed. You have to bring a certain set of assumptions in to not treat Daniel the way, the way it presents itself. If that's you coming in, you're kind of suspicious already of the Bible, I would just invite you, take a second to, to step back and approach this book the way it actually is. A true history written from, from somebody who was in the middle of these events, who was confused when he heard about the future and didn't understand, but, but God gave him a picture into something bigger. And listen to me, if you, if you come to Daniel and you go, there's no way that that happened, there's no way there's a prophecy, you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to disbelieve a whole lot of the Bible. Throughout the entire Bible, God gives his people pictures of what he's gonna do, what's gonna happen. And Jesus himself treated Daniel as a true prophet. So again, if you're coming in suspicious or critical, maybe just check your heart, pause a second, ask God like, hey, could you do this? Could you really be a God who is big enough to know the beginning and the end and to invite your people to understand that in the middle? All right? So the question we're dealing with, Days are dark, 
we're worn out, where are we going to find hope? Daniel 7. It's going to get confusing and crazy before, before it makes sense, but let's do it together. You ready? Someone say, yep. All right, thank you. Verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Again, the same Belshazzar we saw the end of his reign in chapter 5. In the first year, Daniel saw a dream and a vision of his head as he lay in bed. This is a, a dream from God, a dream about the future. Not all dreams you have are from God, right? Praise God, because some of them are weird, whatever. But sometimes we see in the Old and New Testament, God shows up and speaks to his people through a dream. He saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. He knows this isn't just like last night's fast food, right? This is, there's something here from God that he needs to communicate with God's people. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, Behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. It's like all of nature, every direction stirring up. And the sea throughout the Bible is this picture of kind of chaos and nature and rebellion against God. Not just the ocean, but actually a spiritual force pushing against God. Even at the beginning of creation, God's spirit hovered over the waters. God is bringing order to chaos. But this represents a kind of chaos pushing against God. Verse three, four great beasts came out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion that had eagle's wings. Then I looked and its wings were plucked off and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings on its back, and, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and and behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth to speak great things. And all God's people said, whoa, right? That's bizarre. That is crazy. That is confusing. And in fact, Daniel, at the end of this vision, is going to say, I was alarmed and confused and pale. I didn't know what was happening. Listen, if you think that more knowledge about the future is going to solve the the anxiety, insecurity in your heart, when Daniel got this vision of the future, he was more confused than before. One solution we try to go to is, okay, every detail, i got to figure this out, i got to crack the code, i got to solve it, and we will understand it better at the end of this. But put yourself in, in this picture for a minute. Daniel isn't like watching these beasts like a nature documentary on TV where he can kind of like be safe and comfortable and look. He's like in the dream on the beach as these things are coming out of the ocean. He's overwhelmed. He is freaked out by these things. These are like mythical predatory creatures. I haven't been like in the flesh face to face with a real predator unless I'm at a zoo, right? But, but I could imagine being on the beach and this massive lion and a bear and these creatures he can't even describe coming out. He's got to be scared, overwhelmed, freaked out by what's going on. And for Daniel to get freaked out, this guy who's already interpreted like Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and all that, that that means there's something important here that we got to lean into. This is confusing, but it it gets even weirder. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed. The ancient of days took his seat. 
Ancient of Days is like a title for God. He is the one that, that kind of is above human history and beyond it. He doesn't have a beginning or an end. He stands above the scope of time. The Ancient of Days took his seat and his clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. It's like a king's chariot, like a throne in a chariot for battle. In verse 10, a stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. Like this, this mass of people before the king of the universe or angelic beings and the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. We found out later in the Bible that, that the day of judgment, these books will be opened of everything we've said and done. It's a picture of God coming in as the final king and judge to say, no, no, no. Everyone will give an account. Every single person, every single king, everyone, no matter who you are or where you are, will give an account to the God who sits above human history and time. Verse 11, I I looked then because of the sound of the great words the horn was speaking. This last freaky kind of horn, and great words here doesn't mean like good things, but like big things. Things beyond his pay grade. He is saying huge things about his position and power and whatever this horn is speaking in the presence of the God of the universe. And I looked, and the beast was killed. Its body was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. Their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. It looks like a, a person riding the clouds. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. This is an eternal kind of kingdom. His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. In verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. The visions in my head alarmed me. Amen. This is confusing and terrifying. You've got, again, these, these massive creatures that are, that are terrifying, and then you've got God, this king, riding in on a chariot, judging everyone, and then you've got this guy coming in on clouds, and the cloud rider thing is really confusing, guys. Because in the Old Testament, the only one who comes in riding on clouds is God himself. So you've got this guy riding in on the clouds like God, and, and, and the Ancient of Days is there and presents him a kingdom. From the time that Daniel communicated this vision on into history, people debated who this could be. Some are like, well, it can't be a person, so is it some kind of angel or something like that? And other people thought, well, okay, they receive the kingdom, and later we're going to see it's, it's like God's people, and so does that represent like God's chosen people somehow, but how do they have an eternal kingdom? Like, how does this work? Confusion abounds when you get into the details of the story, and Daniel is freaked out. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't understand this. But thankfully, there's like angels with him in this dream, and they're going to start to explain a little bit more what's going on. And, and let me just tell you, this explanation might not be satisfying, but write it out with me. Verse 16, I approached one of those who stood there. There's kind of this 10,000, 10,000 standing there, and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Here you go. Ready? You're going to understand all of it right now. Verse 17, these four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Done. Two verses. There you go. 
freaky beasts, ancient days, whatever. Guys, it's just some kingdoms, but God wins. It's okay, right? Is that satisfying to anyone here? <laughs> like, you, you're like, yeah, yeah, but, but, okay, but what about the horns? And like, wh- why does that lion have a person's mind? And like, what is going on here? Daniel's confused with us. Daniel doesn't accept that and go like, oh, cool, thanks, man, I'll wake up now. Like, he actually wants to know more of this. Look at verse 19. I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast. His attention is fixed on this freaky beast he can't even describe. It was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying. Its teeth of iron, its claws of bronze, it devoured broken pieces, stamped what was left with his feet. He keeps rehashing it because it's so confusing and overwhelming. Verse 20, about the ten horns that were on its head, the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes, a mouth that spoke great things. It seemed greater than its companions. And he watches in this, this dream, this vision keeps kind of rolling forward. I looked and this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days came, judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. The time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Now, if you're, if you're from a church background that has saints as kind of a, a special sort of set apart group of people, this, this might be a little confusing. But throughout the Bible, the, the word saints means God's people. Like literally the root word is, is set apart. In, in Latin, it's similar to like sanctuary or sanctified to set apart as holy. He's saying God's people, those people set aside for God, all of God's people, they possess a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. He's gonna explain even more, 23. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. Another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they, God's people, shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time, like three and a half years. But the court shall sit in judgment. His dominion shall be taken away, be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion, the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. All dominions shall serve and obey him. Daniel finishes and says, here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed. I kept the matter in my heart. There's so much going on here. And your heart posture might tell something about your weariness. Because some of you guys are like, all right, let's get in there, right? I've read the books, I've, I've watched the YouTube videos, like, let's figure out all these details, like, which horn is that guy, and, and which date is this, and where, let's line it up. And some of you guys are like, hey, that's, that's cool for some people, I'm tired. I don't have time to get into all this stuff, like, I, I'm exhausted, like, my kid's sick, like, I, I can't deal with this right now. I don't know if either reaction is exactly what's supposed to happen to our hearts when we read this. The details matter to God, hear me say that, and God sees your tiredness. But listen, Daniel is confused and alarmed, and I think we need to step into that confusion a little bit with him before we try to grab hold of more knowledge to give us a sense of hope and control, or before we write it all off as just, ah, not for me, for someone else, okay? In fact, this is true history. I told you the structure of Daniel is a little bit interesting. Chapter two is a parallel to chapter seven here. If you remember back to chapter two, there's this, this vision of a statue, this dream of a statue Nebuchadnezzar gets that represents different kingdoms. 
Well, just like the, the, the messenger told him, these four kings represent four kingdoms. And historically, if we look back, the details of this vision actually line up beautifully with kingdoms that came during Daniel's time and after. In fact, if you look back, there's this first one with like a lion with eagle's wings that his wings are plucked off. He's got the mind of a man. That lines up with the Babylonians and what happened in Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was this great proud king that got humbled and towards the end of his life, he, he was given humility to see God for who he is. This lion represents the Babylonians. But then the, the next kingdom, like a bear, with kind of one side up and three ribs in its mouth that, that looks like the Medes and the Persians, this kind of mixed empire. The Persians were sort of the dominant partner of the two of them, and they went on to conquer three different kingdoms, the Babylonians, the Lydian kingdom, and the Egyptians. The next beast, this leopard, with four wings and four heads that, that has speed and power, looks a lot like Alexander the Great. He conquered really quickly and rushed from kind of the west to the east, but then he died and four of his generals took over after him, like the four heads. And then after Alexander the Great, the, the Romans came. An empire different than all the others, they, they shifted the seat of power from the Near East to Europe, they, they changed the scope of the known world. They were different than all the other ones and exerted an influence for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like when you, when you look at this prophecy and then you look at history from our vantage point after Daniel, there's something striking and beautiful about, about how accurate this is. And again, if you're not a Christian, if you come to these things skeptical or not sure, let me just tell you, like, God knows history. God actually knows the beginning from the end and, and he gave Daniel a real picture that is historically accurate and we can look back and see how the details line up. But you're like, cool, <laughs> great, good for you, Daniel. That doesn't do anything for me today, right? Like I came for some hope today, I came to, for my faith to be built up, I'm feeling tired. What is understanding like the, the conquering kingdoms of the Medes and Persians, whatever, what does that have to do with me and my life? There's something really interesting about this alarming, puzzling vision. John, one of Jesus' best friends, we were in 1 John a, a couple months ago, he actually picks up this vision in the book of Revelation to give people like us, Christians, a perspective and understanding of the scope of history even beyond this vision. So this was real and historical and these things happened and John is giving us another vantage point. Turn to Revelation chapter three. You're like, yeah, Daniel wasn't freaky enough. Let's get to Revelation. Here we are. Revelation, sorry, chapter 13. If you, if you don't have time to get there, that's okay. But Revelation 13, we're going to see John actually has a vision that takes the picture of, of Daniel 7 and gives us more flavor and more context and more understanding. Revelation 13, this is John in the first century, one of Jesus' best friends, who receives a vision of kind of the scope of human history from Jesus himself. And maybe there was a detail about that last vision that has you puzzled because with these human empires, the Ancient of Days comes and has kind of a final judgment. And you're like, hey, those empires might have happened, but that, that last judgment doesn't seem to have happened yet. Like God's people haven't received this, this kind of kingdom yet. Like what is going on here? John is gonna give us another perspective on those things. John, Revelation 13, starting in verse one. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Does that sound familiar at all? 
and with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems or, or crowns on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was, listen, it was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And, and the dragon, or Satan, gave, gave his, his power and his throne and great authority. One of his heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its, its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast who can fight against it? This beast comes out of the sea, and what does it look like? A leopard, a bear, a lion's mouth, but also these, these horns and heads. Daniel, his vision of these human empires, that, that picture shows up here in Revelation to say, actually, there is a, a, a spirit of Babylon throughout all human empires. It's kind of a, a culmination and conglomeration of all of these human empires. It's a picture of what we've been talking about, the spirit of Babylon pervading through history and through human empires. But, but it keeps going on, verse five. The beast was given a mouth to utter haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months, which is three and a half years, we saw in Daniel 7. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. God's dwelling, his people. Verse 7, as it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, authority was given to it over every tribe and people and nation and language. All who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. This last horn, this one speaking great words, shows up again here. And if we look at the beast in Daniel 7 and see that it looks a lot like Rome, the picture here is saying, actually, yes, Rome really, really did exist and did have these kings, but there's something coming that's like the culmination, the fullness of all those pictures. Have you guys ever been mountain climbing before? It's because you're from Colorado, I know. You've like 14ers and stuff, whatever. Um, Wisconsin doesn't have mountains. I don't know if you guys know this. We've got hills. That's awesome. Um, so if, you, if you're like only from Wisconsin, you've never climbed mountains, you should go try that sometime in your life. But um, my wife and I served in Albania for a year, which is in Eastern Europe. It's a very mountainous country. And towards the end of that year, we, we were hosting Salt Company summer teams, and we took them to kind of this evangelism camp in the south of Albania. It's pretty close to Greece. So like mountainous, rocky coastline. It, it was beautiful. And the mountains kind of come right down to the beach. So one of the last days, one of these college guys is like, we got to climb that mountain to see the sunrise. Let's do it. And I thought two things. I thought, one, that's way too early. But two, I don't want you like breaking your neck up there without me because I'm kind of responsible for you. So I'll come too. So, so we'd get up early in the morning. And the thing about mountains in Albania is they're, they're really not that tall, but there are no trails. Like Albanian people are from the mountains and so they're like, we don't want to go hiking. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? You're crazy. So our goal was like, we're going to get to the top, and so we just kind of have to walk straight up there to get there, okay? If you've, if you've climbed a mountain before, and you're not like one of those extreme people that can like climb all day and whatever, you've kind of got this thing going on where you're always looking at the top, and you're like, all right, 10 more steps, like 20 more steps, 100 more steps, like you're counting down. I was doing that all morning long as I'm dodging boulders and with these college guys and trying to make sure that guy doesn't sprain his ankle and whatever. And, and I would look and be like, okay, we're almost at the peak. We're almost there. And I'll get there and I'll get past the boulder and get past it and get up to it. And it's like, oh, that's not the peak. There's another one back there. 
You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Okay, that, that next one, we're gonna get there. All right, I'll hike it. We're, we're gonna get sunrise. We're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. I get to the next peak. Oh, there's another one. Okay, this happened like four times before the sun rose and we still didn't reach the top peak, right? Like you keep climbing and all you can see is the next, the next bit, the next bump and you get to the top and you go, oh, there's another one over there and another one. I think prophecy in the Bible is a lot like mountain climbing in that way. Now, great, okay, just so you know, the sunrise was beautiful. We never made the top. That's fine. We didn't break our ankles, so that, that worked out. But, but I think prophecy in the Bible is a lot like mountain climbing. Where, where from Daniel's perspective, he could look at these beasts and see, like, yes, real historical kingdoms. But as God's people lived through those times, the picture in Revelation is like, yeah, that, that was a peak, but that wasn't the peak, Right? Somewhat Revelation 13 is showing is that there's a scope of human history and human empires where, where all of them have these beastly qualities. The spirit of Babylon pervades to this day. It wasn't just a kingdom back then, but there's a spiritual reality. Human efforts aligned for glory and power pushing away from God actually our enemy Satan, his job isn't just to, to make you think he looks you know, weird with a pitchfork on Halloween, but to, to make us forget about him and long for our own glory and our own power and our own success. Like Belshazzar did when he was partying with the Medes and Persians right outside of his door. Like, like Darius when he made this silly law for people to worship him and, and end up with Daniel getting thrown in the lion's den like the Romans in establishing themselves as, as the, the conquerors of the world and their gods as the one that everyone needs to worship. Like money and power and success today. You might not be freaked out by the state of the world because you're used to it and comfortable with it, but it is beastly. It is beastly when we begin to treat people like objects or commodities. It is beastly when we begin to treat our lives as if the most important thing was our own comfort, our own success. It's beastly when we begin to look at politics as if, okay, the, the way to, to really get peace and hope in this world is for my person to win. And if you're against my person, then, then you're evil and you're wrong and you, you hate everyone else around you. The spirit of Babylon is alive and well and Revelation 13 is trying to tell us, yes, again, those human kingdoms really happened, that prophecy was real, but take a step back. There's more to it. And in fact, some of the, the aspects of Daniel's prophecy, the king sitting in judgment, the kingdom being given to God's people, it hasn't fully happened yet. Daniel could see some of the peaks along the way, but there was the peak coming, the end. In John's letter to the churches that we saw a couple months ago, First John, he talks about the Antichrist. And again, if you're like not from a church background, you're like, see, gotcha again. Totally, it's in the Bible. It's really there. But, but our job isn't necessarily to go and try to, to give our, our top list of like the five people that could be the Antichrist, right? Who makes your list? Whatever. We begin to treat this as if it's just a knowledge problem and if we somehow have the right knowledge of who it is or when it is or how it'll happen, then we'll, we'll crack the code. That's what Daniel was trying to do. Daniel was freaked out and, and if, you, if you think back to chapter seven, he was obsessed with, yeah, what about that horn? Or what about this person? Like, what do I do with this? How do I understand? And, and remember what the, the first interpretation of it was. It was two verses. Hey, those beasts are kingdoms, but don't worry. Like, yeah, God's people will get a kingdom in the end. Even the, the longer description of what's going to happen, there's more detail about it, but it's like, hey, by the way, at the end of it, God wins. God's people get a kingdom. 
Like, at the end of the day, no, 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 the Ancient of Days will come in as a conquering king on his throne. God really does win. So what do we do in the meantime? Look at Revelation 13, verses 9 and 10. Finish that bit for me. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Like, lean in, listen to these things, understand them. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here's a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints, of God's people. Daniel was being invited into a, a picture of history, not so he could somehow crack the code, but so that he could endure during the time of Babylon. What was before him was he had to step into Belshazzar's like, grand party and explain to him the writing on the wall that your kingdom is being taken away. What was in front of him in his life was this, this horrible law that everyone had to worship Darius or you'll be thrown in the lion's den, and he still had to go and pray and get thrown in the lion's den. What was supposed to happen in Daniel, we look at his life and it happened. He had an, a kind of endurance through whatever happened based on his faith in the ancient of days, the one who wins. And I think that's supposed to happen to us too. I think my heart reaction is I want to get all the details right and understand it, but I think what God is trying to tell us through Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 is, is hey, actually, yes, these human kingdoms will come and there will come a final one. The peak will come. The Antichrist will come. The, the final thing will happen. But your job isn't to crack the code. Your job isn't to figure out the timing of how it all is supposed to work. Your job isn't to try to gain some control through knowledge. And it's also not your job to check out. Yeah, God's got it, I don't care. Your job is to look at the Ancient of Days. Your job is to look at the one who has the end of the story. Your job is to see him in his power and glory and, and let what he is, who he is, and the story he's written change how you live today. What do we see from this story? We see that, that God actually has the scope of human history in his hand. The beasts were, were given a certain amount of dominion, a certain time frame, but they didn't get to set the boundaries of their kingdoms. They didn't get set to set the endings of their kingdoms. God had dominion over all of human kingdoms. God is in control today over Russia and Ukraine, over Yemen, over China, over Wisconsin, over the U.S. God actually is on his throne over it. And God's people, all who belong to him, will receive an eternal kingdom that's different from this one. God isn't concerned with trying to make some human kingdom into his perfect kingdom. He has a kingdom coming. The real king is coming. That one like the son of man coming to receive the kingdom. Did you know Jesus uses that title for himself, son of man, 80 times throughout the four gospels? Jesus is trying to tell you, hey, this one who rode in on the clouds and received a kingdom from the ancient of days, that's me. My kingdom is coming that will conquer and be over every human kingdom in the end. I will win, and if you're mine, you're part of my kingdom. The saints of the Most High will rule with him. We receive a kingdom with Jesus. But in Revelation 13, it, it says there's a book, the Lamb's Book of Life. Anyone who belongs to him, their name is written in that book. Here's what you need to understand from this. God is in control. Jesus wins. He has the end of the story. 
So listen to me. If God has the end of the story, you can trust him in the middle. If God has the end of the story, you can trust him in the middle. If you're a note taker, I want you to write that down. Through all of the details and through all of these things, that is what God is trying to show us, that, that he is the one that stands outside of human time. He is in control. He is not surprised. It's not a contest between good and evil as if, as if it's some battle. No, no, God stands above it all, and he sets the time frames and the limits for all of it, even if his people are under pressure and persecution during part of it. God has the end of the story, and if he's got the end of the story, you can trust him in the middle. What happens if God's people begin to trust him in the middle? What does it look like when that truth and that reality settles into your heart? It doesn't look like control through knowledge or or checking out. It actually looks like the life Daniel lived after this vision. One of the things about Daniel is he was a faithful ambassador of the coming kingdom through whatever kingdom he was in. He lived through the change of governments. He lived through the changing kingdoms, but he lived as an ambassador of the king. So when the laws of the day didn't line up with God, he said, okay, I've got a king that I submit to and I serve even if it takes me to lion's den. When he was pressed and pressured for for power and all these things, he said, no, no, I don't need your gold chains. I don't need your whatever. I've got a kingdom coming that I'm living for. If this truth begins to hit hit our, our hearts, I think we begin to sidestep the details sometimes to look at the ancient of days. Like, does your life rhythm look like you actually are pursuing the king who has the end of your story? I'm not saying read the Bible to try to get more, more Bible facts and knowledge to pass some kind of Bible trivia, but, but do you read these things to get to know the ancient of days, the son of man who has invited you in? Like, maybe what you need to do for your anxiety and your frustration with the world around you is, is journal through, write out Daniel 7, And focus on what the ancient days looks like. He is glorious. He is powerful. He is the one that sets limits. He is the one that has the end. Maybe you need to practice limits in your life when it comes to to the control you're trying to get through knowledge and information. When I talked about the the, the 2020 cycle of news and stuff like that, have you ever gotten out of that? Like since Corona is not the main headline, are you still tapped in and sucked into trying to get all of this information for, for what? Maybe you need to actually begin to set limits on, on your diet of information and stuff because you're obsessed with the details of what's going on in this kingdom and your eyes aren't put up to the king who's coming. Maybe your identity as a person in God's kingdom needs needs to overwhelm every other identity you've put stock in. If you're one of God's people, you're not first and foremost your political party, your country of origin, your favorite hobby, your whatever, but you are one of the saints of the most high God. What if that identity began to change the way you lived today? And for some of us in here, you're hearing this stuff and you're like, hey, I, I don't actually know if I know that God. I don't know if I trust him. Let me be very clear with you. There will come a day, whatever the scope of history looks like from here until then, whatever that peak looks like, there will come a day where all the books will be open before God. You will give an account for your life. And God isn't trying to, to put a scale in front of you and go, hey, did you do good enough? Like on your last day, did you say enough nice things to people? Or did you cause? Like whatever. That's not how it works. God is perfect in his glory and holiness and he's perfect in his knowledge about your heart and your life. 
you can't pull the wool over his eyes. That's not a settled place to be, but the books will be opened. But Revelation 13 tells us there is another book, the Lamb's Book of Life. Anyone who's trusted in Jesus, anyone who's put their hope and their faith and their confidence that Jesus is actually king, that he is the king that conquered through his death, he's the lamb that was slain and he rose to life, that he is God in flesh, that the son who receives a kingdom from the father, this mystery of what our God is like, what he shows us he is like, one God in three persons. If you trust in him, just like the, the, the writing on the wall of, of Belshazzar's kingdom showed its end came, God's hand will write your name in his book showing the end of your punishment finished at the cross. Jesus wants to take the condemnation you deserve, the judgment you deserve, and in exchange give you a place in his kingdom. He is the only king that has an eternal kingdom. He is the only one that can offer you a place that you were made for. You were made to be with God forever. Listen, if you've not trusted Jesus, would you do that today? Would you look to him, not to your own control, not to your own sphere of influence, but look to him as the one that can give you hope? Doxa family, these chapters are, they're wild. And there's, there's wonderful, beautiful, interesting things to get here. Listen, my worry and my prayer is that, that we would become so obsessed with the details even though the details matter, we'd become so obsessed with the details that, that we'd even begin to tear each other apart. Like you would blow up your connection group this week because someone disagrees with how all the details work. Don't do that, okay? The point of this passage is that God wins. The point of this passage is that God sees it and knows it. Daniel didn't understand all that was coming, but God did. And he invites us to understand more. But then as we read Revelation 13, we don't understand what all the end is gonna look like, but God does. He wins. This is for the faith and the endurance of the saints. So you begin praying with me even this week for endurance from God. Endurance to follow him like an ambassador through whatever comes. Endurance to pursue him in his heart for our city, whatever comes. Would God raise us up to be like Daniels who, who would be ambassadors and serve this city for God's glory and his coming kingdom whatever happens between now and then would you pray with me and invite God to do that in our hearts more and more today let's pray God you really do have the end of the story you've proved it over and over again that you know history you know what's coming you know what's been and even as we see this picture in Revelation 13 of like the end and, and the scope of human history, would you show us more and more a picture of you on your throne? Jesus, you reign and no human king or kingdom can conquer you. No human power can overwhelm your kingdom. It's no contest. Jesus, you win. And when we see that truth, would you, would you help us trust you more and more with our story today? the sickness going on in our lives, with the worry or anxiety about our jobs and our families? Would you give us a bigger perspective of who you are that begins to calm down the, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, the, the control in our hearts? God, would you help us walk out with a trust that changes our faith and our endurance from here moving forward? We pray this in your name.
Amen. Doc, it's fitting.